Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the True Potential Do More With Your Money podcast. It's Thursday, the 9th of April, and this is episode 12. Today, I'm joined by David Harrison, by Jamie Sexton, by Mark Henderson, and by Peter Bold. And we've got a range of topics that we want to discuss today with the normal industry and economic update, which is going to be led by Mark. We're then going to talk about the tax year start, what that means, what opportunities are going to be presented from us, and, and we're also going to share some of true potential statistics with that. We're then going to have a, an update with COVID-19, and we're going to have a look at really what other countries are doing out there, um, how they're dealing with either lockdown or not. And also, we're going to look at the true potential approach for that. And then finally, we're going to have a bit of an update in terms of true potentials, charitable work and the initiatives with the C19 business pledge. Um, so, Mark, let's kick things off straight away with you, please. Um, what's this week uh, had in store for us? Or, or I think not in store, but what, what has it provided, I should say? It's been an interesting week, Dan. Um, I think there's a new lead indicator um, emerged you know, people look at volatility index, they look at PMI, but when you look at the true potential rotor, podcast rotor, when they see that Jeff Casson's going to be on, the markets get a little bit naughty, but when, when it's my turn, they behave a lot better. So for everybody going forward, just try and work out who's going to be broadcasting at the end of the week. Um, for us, what we've seen is real strong performance across all of the portfolios. And it's a result of a, a combination of factors. Um, first of all, th there's better news emerging about the trends, the infection trends and the, um, the, 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 the slowing down of, of uh, the death rate across what have been the main centres of the um, infection globally. Also, you've got the coordinated approach of central banks coming in and providing a stimulus now, we've, we've spoken in the past about money being in flight, and I think it still is in flight. It hasn't found its way yet into the pockets of, of, of businesses and workers. But what it has done is it's created, I think, a floor in the equity markets, a, a point at which things can bounce. And we've, we've got some interesting stats coming through. You know, we, we can see that technically, we're back in bull market territory. And this has happened relatively quickly, um, very quickly, in fact, across across the US market. Um, we can see that in the S&P 500. You know, just last night, again, it was up 3%. That's 10% in the week. Um, the FTSE was up 4.5% yesterday. Euro stocks up by 5%. And this is based on the, the factor that I said before about the slowing down of infections. Now, we're not out of it yet by any stretch of the imagination, but the signs of positivity pulling through. The results in the portfolios, we've seen the balanced, which is the, the, the one that the majority of clients sit in. That's up by 3.4%. That's on yesterday's prices. Before we've seen the, the market effect pull through, the, the, the portfolio that has most equity content, which is the aggressive portfolio, is up over 5% in the week. So we're seeing this coming through, Dan. And there's, there's a couple of other interesting things going on. You know, uh, one of the, the big stocks in the FTSE 100 that, that was hit was Carnival Cruise. You know, it was absolutely decimated for reasons that everybody understands. And then the Saudis came in in the week with their, their sovereign wealth fund. The share price of Carnival went up by 25% in a day. 
You're also hearing signs coming out of China that the, the, um, they're looking to expand into Europe. They're looking to buy into European companies, which will help share prices. Um, the, the, the other side of this is that, that in Japan, you know, about 2.2 billion of their in, in dollar terms of their uh, economic stimulus is earmarked on bringing production out of China back into Japan. So the, there's lots of things going on in the market. And we've seen a more normalized approach this, this week where, you know, typically when equity markets go up, bond markets go down. That hasn't been happening for a couple of weeks. It has this week. And you're seeing signs again of in the U.S., bonds, new bonds being purchased, new bonds being issued um, in the corporate sector. So there's lots of different things coming through and they're, they're adding up to good returns from markets. That's good to hear, Mark. I think because if you were to read the newspapers or, or scroll for the news online, you wouldn't be told that markets have been up the last two weeks in a row really now. So it's been uh, it's quite, quite heartening to hear that. Um, I know that Jeff Mark in, in the past has, has spoke about currency and things as well. How's the pound doing at the moment? Is it still low? Is it recovering? It's it's recovering, Dan. Again, we're talking about you know the the lower to mid one twenties there. Um, it was one of the news items that I know we'll be discussing later on was what was was Boris Johnson's. Um, health situation and that did have an effect on the pound when when the news came through that Boris had had unfortunately been taken into hospital but I think again on on the currency side there's signs of a little bit of stabilization coming through which is which is good for everybody you know the markets really just want to see a way ahead yeah. through this and the signs of that emerging we talk it's, about green green shoots, Dan. It's it, you know it's one of those things that that you can see at the moment. Hopefully, it's going to be sustainable. Good. And and you mentioned about Boris um, being in hospital. Um, Peter, it might be a good time just just to bring you in, please. Um, has, has has there been any updates overnight? Is he still stable, so to speak? Um, the, the latest update, Dan, was the one um, Downing Street put out last night, which was that he was sitting up, um, that he was um, still in intensive care, but that he was showing some signs of, of recovery, um, which is obviously very good. Um, I don't think it was from what, you know, as, as the days have gone by and we've heard more about it, he was never apparently on a on a ventilator um, and was always conscious. So it, was, it seemed to be quite precautionary. Uh, measures, which was good. Um, so hopefully, you know, he is on the mend, um, but it's going to be several weeks. I mean, I think probably what will happen is, you know, when he does, is able to leave hospital, I suspect he won't be going straight back to number 10. He probably needs to be fair to him a few weeks to just get over this, because whatever he's had in terms of the severity of it, it's obviously been a, a big shock to his system to, to have ended up in hospital. And then clearly he wasn't recovering after the first seven days and, and it was extended and then we are where we are now so i'd expect that he would be probably out of action um in terms of physically seeing him probably for another good few weeks and and you know rightly so there's, there's a good team there who can carry on the day to day and the, the most important thing is that he gets back to full fitness and um can get back in the hot seat yeah um, absolutely the quicker he's back to fitness the better and um dominic rob seems to be the the de facto deputy prime minister at the moment yeah, although I mean, that's not a real term anymore. Prime Minister by name, um, you did in the coalition, Nick Clegg, but that was obviously the, the dynamic. 
uh, Tony Blair had John Prescott as an official deputy prime minister, but traditionally we don't have them. Um, but what you have had is what's called the first secretary of state, which in this case is Dominic Raab, who's also obviously the foreign secretary. So his his job really is just to chair the morning 915 meeting in terms of um, what he's now doing that he wouldn't have been doing before. Um, there's, there's a COBRA meeting today, which is the th almost like the three weeks on meeting from when we went into lockdown. Monday will be three weeks. So that's happening today, which he'll chair. But I suppose the difference in terms of what he's physically doing is simply really chairing those 915 meetings. There's no big decisions that are going to be taken that the Prime Minister is not going to be informed in. It's not as if the PM's um, incapacitated at all. Yeah. So there's been a lot of talk in the last few days, which is the usual thing around, you know, if we're going to war, if there's a nuclear attack, who, and of course it's all frankly unhelpful speculation, unnecessary speculation because it was never that, you know, the, the PM was never unable to take that decision. So the question never really arose. It was really just filling time, I always felt it. And, and that's what always happens, of course. So Dominic Robb will be taking those, chairing those meetings, but I fully expect that the PM will be up to date. And of course, if we are, the next big decision coming is going to be extending the lockdown, which is inevitable, probably by another three or four weeks. Uh, almost the bigger decision after that is when you lift that lockdown. And that is certainly... A good month away, probably longer. Um, so we all hope that Boris is back in time um, at the hot seat to make that call because that would be a big decision, and you know that that would require a decision from the top and complete cabinet unity around that. Absolutely. And and David, just just to bring you in on there, do you kind of agree with Peter that we're looking at another three to four weeks in terms of lockdown? If Hard to tell, lockdown. Daniel. I, I think that I think it would be sensible to have that. Um, and uh, you can kind of detect by the, the comments of uh, Rob and others in government that uh, the sympathy for that stance. So a further three weeks come ne next week, um, I think uh, it's a probability. Um, I was counting last night again when Rishi got up again um, and was talking, there was another three utterances of the word unprecedented um, and then somebody else said it's unprecedented as if we didn't know this is unprecedented you wouldn't want to be a reporter right now well it probably would be want to be a reporter right now because you've got as per most reporters most of the time i think the british public has seen that now the media reporters only ever have between all of them you've got the entire globe you've got everything to think about and then you've got one subject, which takes up, at first it took up half an hour of a half an hour slot, now it takes up about 28 minutes of a half hour slot. Um, so what, what happens, I think, as Peter's alluding to there, when they're asking questions, they've run out of questions. Look, the thing, the thing, the only thing is, how many poor people have died, right? How many people have caught it? How many new cases have been reported? How quickly is it moving? And where actually are you on testing the front line? Those are the only questions that make any difference to anybody. Yeah. But because they've only got that, and somebody's just asked that question just before, because they've been told to stop shouting and form an orderly queue and ask the same question. You can imagine them sitting there going, damn, I was going to ask that one. Damn. They'll have a list of the same questions and just scrubbing them out. And then outcomes. So what happens if we have a nuclear attack? 
Uh, I, can you guarantee that Boris will be able to fight off a nuclear attack? Can you? And you feel like saying, click, right? Next, next lunatic. You know, <laughs> because what they don't understand, and they do not understand, is the British public aren't stupid. They're fed up with it. Yeah. Give us the facts. Let us know how Boris is getting on, because of course that's a public interest for obvious reasons. Right? And what's the next step? And the problem is when they're now in this sort of treadmill of I've got to come out and say something. And, and therefore, when you've got nothing to say, it takes a long time, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it's, it's got this stage, David, where I was watching the daily bulletins every day, you know, yeah. religiously. And I don't think I've watched one live for a week now. No, not, because it is. It's that treadmill. It's almost just coming out now because they've said they'll come out every day. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, as I said, sorry, Dan, as I said maybe three weeks ago, that it was only ever a response anyway to to clamour from the people who want to sit there and ask questions to fill their own time. It was never part of the strategy was to do these. Uh, and I, I think, but anyway, there's obviously a value in having somebody senior there telling you what's going on quite clearly. Yeah. The bad bit, as I said the other week, is the fact that you then have to have half an hour of now an orderly queue of people asking exactly the same question when it's perfectly obvious that they can't or won't give the answer, otherwise they would have given that to the first one. There's a yeah. reason why they're not prepared to do that. But of course, as David says, the next person wanted to ask the same question. So what you all what, all you have now is he didn't quite answer his question, so can I ask it again? Third time, he didn't quite answer their question, so can I ask it again? And it just becomes this pantomime, which is ridiculous and doesn't really help anybody. So I think what's important... Uh, so I think the other thing is, just, just to finish on that, is... You know, it's the political journalists who are doing these press conferences. I mean, it might be different if you had a, you know, somebody who was an expert in epidemiology or a scientific reporter or whatever. Maybe then you could think, well, you might get some value out of that if you were able to ask some of the science-based questions of the chief medical officer, of the scientific advisor. But because it's the political journalists, no wonder they get, of course, embroiled in the whole interest about, well, who would run the country if if there was a nuclear attack? You know, nonsense. Yeah. What we said at True Potential, remember, we came back from China and we thought, crazy, I'm glad to get back. Um, this looks really, really bad. And I remember um, we had a, a group meeting. And even then we were saying, do you think it's right to have a group meeting? But we sat down and we said, the first thing to do is these people, the people on this call, um, in particular, the five senior partners, I got sent home. I've been here for weeks. I remember uh, uh, Mark saying, you've got to go home now, right? Uh, and my wife thought I'd got the sack, you know, you'd be the sack. <laughs> but it was like hanging about, you know, when you used to like not go to school, but pretend you were at school. <laughs> you were hanging around, you know, avoiding neighbours and all sorts of things. Exactly the same here. Um, but we, we decided that you have to have command and control, right? You have to remove the bosses from the rest so that the bosses can continue to make decisions. And of course, we get daily meetings. We've had daily meetings ever since. We get daily reports. We always have done. But we talk about those and we make decisions remotely and we've done from the start. Right. Government didn't do that. We actually took it very seriously. We're not a serious company. We're lighthearted. But business is about 
making a profit. Business is about looking after your clients. If you look after your clients, you make a profit. Yeah. So we had to do that. They just didn't do that. And I think that's, that's an error. Another error, I am not a journalist and I'm not a political person, so I'm not going to bother insulting people by going, now, three weeks ago, if three weeks ago you took Route B and you hear somebody screaming, me from the sideline, he didn't do Route B, you moron. How can he possibly work out where Route B would have took you when they took Route A? You wouldn't know where Route B was. Why? Because I haven't gone Route B. Where would you be now? Well, I don't know where I'd be now. I know where I am now. It's always our philosophy. However, if they took Route B, <laughs> if, 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 <laughs> if, keep going. What you can't do is fight something if you don't know where it is. So you've always had to know where the enemy is. Always had to know that. And there, there was enough testing, I think I said in the previous thing. If you go back to the beginning of March, Britain was testing, it was the fourth best tester per head of population in the UK. By the end of March, they were 26th. So something clearly went wrong. They ran out of kits. I, don't, I, I just think they were testing the wrong people. Because, frankly, you test 100,000 people, only 2,000 of them are doctors. That seems a bit daft. Because after the government, your doctors, not even your nurses, your doctors are next. You've got to keep your doctors healthy. You almost say, don't come home, please. This is three, four, five, six months. It's say like going abroad. We're going to get your digs at the hospital. We're going to isolate you at the hospital. And we're going to test you about once or twice a week. Then it's the nurses are going to support you. And that's how you would, it's not with hindsight. That's what we said, remember? Yeah. Weeks ago, that's what we said. Because it, to me, it's common sense. Now, the good thing about this government is that I, I think a very, very caring government. You know, it, it costs a lot to do what they're doing. It, but it's gone other days when King George III rode into battle and got shot up his horse. I mean, what a target that would be. You, know, you can imagine, that would sort a lot of things out. You know, it, it, it would stop a lot of world wars, by the way, if you got Putin to come out in the front line and big fat head Trump or somebody like that. They wouldn't be as quick sending people's sons and daughters to war zones if it was them and their sons and daughters first in the front line, not lurking in the background. Right. So the whole the whole point is you don't do that. You you step back from that and you isolate and you because that's the most important thing. You know, you just read your history. That's where the Germans, Tommy, made big inroads with the Blitzkrieg and things, just past the foot soldiers and straight into command and control. That's the way to do it. And that's what this this is that's what this virus has done. It's gone past all of that and gone and hit the leader which is, if it was an enemy, that's a great, you know. David, it'll be interesting to see when we get through it, because there will be a lot more to come out, a lot more facts and figures yeah. and who, who made what decision and when. But um, I read an interesting, um, quite long sort of piece from, uh, I think it was Reuters maybe did it, but um, actually at the very start of this, if you go back to 
I think it was February. We, we weren't that, as you say, at the start, we were testing a lot of people and the contact tracing and, and that was actually quite effective in those early stages. But I think, or at least the assessment that Reuters were putting forward is what happens is that Italy goes off the scale. And obviously Italy, the, the traveling between Italy and, and the UK, very common, lots of people doing that, that journey. And I think our, it was being treated uh, in this country as almost like a really bad flu. You know, it's a really bad flu, but we, we'll, we'll get over it. There's an interesting, if you look at the countries that have got on top of it quite quickly and have done the testing and kept the testing levels up, they're countries that were affected by SARS, you know, a decade or, or, or more ago, um, which wasn't us. We didn't have that problem in this in this country. So they got on top of it and stamped it right down. The European countries didn't. Italy then explodes with this huge escalation in cases and deaths, at which point our approach, which was, you know, a bit of tracing, a bit of testing, um, doing quite well, they then go, well, we can't control this. This is We're going to follow Italy, and we have. The path looking at it this morning, we're on exactly the same trajectory as we were a month ago. We've just followed them absolutely in their footsteps. At that point, the scientific advice appears to have been, we're never going to be able to contain this. It's pointless testing everybody. It's out. We're going to have to just go through this now. Then out comes Neil Ferguson's report, which says, if you do that, if you just allow this herd immunity to take hold, somewhere between 250,000 and 500,000, will die. And of course, that's, you know, you, no government could, could knowingly sanction that really and get away with it. So you go into full lockdown. Now, that might that might not be the case. Maybe there is some truth in that. But that seems a fairly plausible account of why we started off really good. You then think, doesn't matter, we could test everybody. This is going to hit us like a juggernaut. Well, so, I think the, po the point being with scarce resources, we don't, we, we don't need to test everybody. Yeah. Right. That's the point. If you're running a business, you wouldn't you you wouldn't give everybody the same bit of advice. You've got three million clients. You go, all of you do this today. They're all individuals, all different. But there's a key cohort in Britain that's yeah. fighting this disease, starting with the cabinet, the government, if you like, then the doctors. Mm -hmm. It is it isn't everybody. Then the doctors, then the nurses, then the care workers. And, and that's it. All the other stuff, I mean, these volunteers, it's fun. I mean, it's it's good to be British, isn't it? I mean, it, it really is good to be British because the amount of people who volunteer, the amount of people who are doing good, the amount of people who are putting themselves forward, absolutely, it's heartwarming. It's, it's fantastic. I do hope, however, we learn the lesson and we say it early in government. If Dominic's going to do anything... If, the two Dominics, the, Dominic, the, the, the secret assassin behind the scenes, if Cummins has any sway, right, we, we mustn't get into blame. We must almost give people a free ticket at this point. If there's mistakes being made, so what? Absolutely so what? Right? Because that's the political side to it, which is actually hugely damaging, because what it then does is, they're bureaucratic enough, some of these organisations that we're talking about. I'm not going to that that sort of regular diatribe about inefficiency in certain areas of Britain. Right? But what they're good at is laying the blame on people. And those people get like, five times their salary as a pension and get sent to some other department to wreck it there. What we should do is just, is just stay where you are. Everybody, you've done your best. Well done. We've overcome this. If there's any witch hunts, what happens right now 
is bum covering time. Yeah. So before you go any further, okay, that's interesting, Minister. Can you give me that in triplicate? And can you get somebody else to sign it, please? Can I just say before I go ahead with that, I'm a little bit concerned about it, but if you're ordering me to do it, I'll do it. But just to let you know, I'm not going to take responsibility for that. And that dancing around, which civil servants, or not civil servants, anybody that's in a bureaucratic position has got to that position in Britain by doing that, by avoiding this, nothing sticks to them. That's why they're still around until something big sticks to them. And then a pension more for the huge pension. Right. In, in private business, that doesn't happen. In private business, what's the point in blaming something that went on a year ago? It's where you are right now. What are we going to do now? What's going to happen tomorrow? How do we get better from where we are? Not how do we blame somebody for something that happened two years ago? It happened two years ago. It's still my fault. I've allowed the silly so-and-so to wreck my business. But that's, that's me. I've allowed it to happen. So, you know, you just... We all make mistakes, my goodness, you know, we all make mistakes. And if we don't allow people to make mistakes, we're not going to learn. And the learning from this is what's important. It's the biggest, only good thing that can come out of it. What did you learn from it? How could you react again? Because it won't be necessary COVID-19 the next time. It could be something totally different. It doesn't need to be a plague. It, it can be something very different, but how we mobilize and how we recover is important. Uh, there were some awful stories last night after, I don't want to depress, but uh, some awful stories of people just dying, you know, very quickly. There's one lassie who had done some training and then she'd worked on 111 um, and then she'd gone home feeling poorly and she'd rang 111 knowing that the, you know if she rings 999 that's a bigger by the time she rang them they came she was dead it was just awful really you know so you it, it, it's killing indiscriminately i think I, once again however when we look at the statistics it looks at the older people and people with health complications particularly lung complications it tends to get them more than it gets gets the rest of the people but um I don't think anybody's safe. So, in a way, the Prime Minister getting it, I think that was bam. If he can get it, anybody can get it. If you do what he did, so you go around meeting people for a long time in, in crowded rooms, it just takes one person in that room to give you it. So, we're in that situation, all of us on this call, I think, in that situation now where we keep away from people, we wash our hands. I, I'm just talking about me. Um, I uh, I wash other people's hands almost. I'm, I'm you know they touch something, uh, you know I'm cleaning it. Um, if they touch it too many times, I say just keep away, keep right away. Otherwise, I'll throw a spear through you or something. I not, not get too close to you. Say that they, a two meter stick with a like a razor blade on the end of it just to get back. So. This is probably a uh, talking about getting back. Jamie's been isolated almost as long as you did. Jamie, I mean, keep and, and then he's, <laughs> and then he's been very, he's been very quiet on the podcast. A long, a long wait for you, Jamie. So, <laughs> uh, welcome, mate. Um, just talking about, I mean, Dave, David was talking about kind of, you know, 
with staying put and, and and how we continue to evolve our true potential and, and work with the business as usual approach. And it's been very much business as usual in terms of it being tax year start. Yeah, Dan, we've it's obviously um in terms of the sixth of April, new tax year um opportunity for to sort of use them allowances. Um specifically around we've got the David's favourite product, the junior ISA, as we know, is uh, now nine thousand. Um, and then that 20,000 uh, ISA allowance, but also other things, obviously uh, your pension allowances as well. So these are good opportunities for us to speak to clients and, and start these um, start these allowances, whether we're looking to do it on a, an impulse save basis where you can, you can just go online and, and pop your money in um, or alternatively set up that sort of regular contribution. Um, I think it's key. What I would say to clients, especially for um, your sort of pension annual allowance, um, it's worth, you know, speaking to speaking to also your advisor, um, and we can give them an idea of actually the amounts they can put in because you can actually carry forward previous years as well. So there's lots of lots of good things to start talking about. It's like a, the beginning of the year for us as a as a as a sort of an advisor part yeah. of business. Well, it's a couple of points to follow up on what, what Jamie was saying there. You know, the junior ISA, we, we've we've had this debate for a long, long time because we we put it on the platform very early, much to um, to David, so I was going to say amusement. I can't use the exact phrase, Dan, because it would just turn out to be a load of beeps at this end. But as Jamie's raised the the the, the point there, you know, nine thousand pounds is now the junior ISA allowance. That's the same as the ISA allowance was for an individual back in two thousand and nine. And when you think about the amount of money that you can accumulate using those annual allowances, it's a substantial amount. And it's a lot of, uh, we've had queries coming in from grandparents asking if they can save for the, for the grandchildren in junior ISAs. And that's a, it's a good way of looking at it. On the pension side, I think is it a buying opportunity? It, it, it always is for a pension because you put your money in and then the government give you an extra 20%. And on top of that, we've got a market discount over what prices were, say, six, eight weeks ago. So what's not the like about putting money into a pension now you get the, the the lower buying price of the funds and you get the government contribution towards it. Um, so put 32,000 in and you get 8,000 from the government. I think that the, the best one you did wasn't so much the junior ISA, just so people understand that. <laughs> if you've got a tax relief, a tax allowance or whatever, take it. Um, also, it encourages people to have bigger families, I think as well. That's another good point about it. Um, I, I, I didn't want the government to fritter, you remember the fight we had with them at the time, I didn't want the government to be frittering away stuff. I wanted 25 to 30,000 pounds into a super ISA and none of the other little bits of lifetime ISAs, such and such ISAs, you know, bricks and mortar ISA, I don't know, tandem bike ISA, otherwise you'll end up doing exactly what they've done with pensions is make it so complicated that you need somebody like Jamie to explain it to you, which is balmy. ISAs are great. The only downside of them is you pay tax before you put the money in. But after that, it's all tax-free. Tax-free all the way through, even when you're taking it. No complications whatsoever. So they're a great thing. Pensions are more tax-efficient on the way in. The same tax efficiency as they're growing. And because of the way that we're handling um, the, the far side of it, almost as tax efficient on the way out as well. So all of them absolutely great. The bleeps and other stuff are when 
Mark launched in in the back of a taxi. I remember it was an awful day. That I, I'll just tell the story because it's, it is a little bit amusing. Mark had worked away very very hard to come up with a group pension. So I thought, yeah, yeah, fine. But then when I looked at it, at him and his team, um, I said, well, that'll never sell. Well, it's because of such and such. I said, but it'll never sell. It's a waste of time. And he, you know, he stuck his guns to the side. I said, but it just won't sell. Okay. And I got myself in such a kind of mood that I stormed out of the taxi in the London office. Right. Uh, and uh, turned around and said, I'm going to send an email and realised I'd left my iPad in the taxi. <laughs> Which was even more bleeps and things like this. But, and of course, it was a taxi where it, it didn't have a phone number. So, you know, I had the, the little receipts, you know, you got the receipts. Um, it didn't have a phone number on the receipt. It just had a bloody worldwide web thing. I think, well, there's no chance ever. I wouldn't say the taxi driver, you know. And then I realized that it had, like, find my iPad on somebody's phone, was it my phone or Mark's phone or whatever. And we were tracking a taxi, and of course it was still outside. It was down at Victoria Station. So I jumped straight out, sprinted down to the Victoria Station. There was nobody there. And I got a phone call, said he's moved. Mm-hmm. And then he's way up Edgeware Road or something. I think, God, you know, what do we do? Do we like, how do we get this bloody thing back? Anyway, um, I think Esther or somebody eventually tracked it down. He came back and he, he, he said he'd have to charge a fare, in fairness. fairness. Um, and uh, so I think that was worse. The group, how many of those did we sell, Mark? Tell the truth, you're on television. Yeah, there's the answer. <laughs> there, there's, I, no, there's the answer. I, 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 I just didn't want I, the junior ISA to go the same way, a load of frost and it, it it's great though and the great for grandchildren are, 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 um it's a fantastic gift i think I also I, can can i just follow that up dan as well with the iphone right that was one of i don't know how many been left in the back of taxis but that number pales into insignificance with the number of iphones that have been dropped in the bath well, normally no, what happens is an iPhone gets dropped in the bath just as Apple announce a new one. Yes. <laughs> it's a coincidence, um, isn't it? it? It's a strange coincidence. It's it like, is. Surely we have to yeah. get one. I've got, I haven't got mine here now, but it is cracked. It's had a cracked screen for a year. And I try all my best to try and get one. And I find it's a blockage in several, from several different directions at the highest level. <laughs> you, have to, you have to lead by example, David. That's right. And Neil won't sign off a new one anyway, so you've got to keep that one with a cracked screen. And Just because that... he's got one with a cracked screen. He's, but he's had one. He's had the same iPhone since before iPhones were invented. Uh, but, but actually, strange enough, talk, talking about new smartphones and things, I was reading a report that you know Apple are meant to bring the new iPhone out later this year, uh, the, the iPhone 12, I think it is. And that now might be under pressure because of China, um, you know, and, and a lot of the components coming from there. Um, although, interestingly enough, China back open, all normal again. You know, if you looked at the light show last night from Wuhan, a uh, big celebration. Um, 
was watching a report on it. Every Chinese citizen has an app as well with a QR code. There's Jamie's phone ringing. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, Wuhan's <laughs> calling. Wuhan's calling you. Um, every citizen there has a QR code and an app and a phone. And if they're green, they're allowed to travel. If if not, they'll probably get taken away somewhere. Um, it's interesting. It, it's I think there's a lot of cynicism now, isn't there, about is there any cases of COVID-19? Is it, you know, or is it now being kind of covered up? And you, you've you've got Trump back on the offensive last night as well. He's now blaming the World Health Organization yeah. for all of this as well. So kind of two, two bits of interesting news last night, Wuhan opening and Trump on the offensive about the WHO. You might have a point where the WHO is concerned. Yeah. What he said about it, he's just saying inefficient or... He said they were basically... Um... I'm paraphrasing, but asleep at the wheel is what he was trying to get to. And um, because of that, he's going to review the amount of funding that America gives to the WHO. But I mean, the WHO is coming for a bit of stick from a lot of people who are well up to speed on this issue and how close they were to China or are to China. Um, you know, they were putting out tweets as recent as January and uh, late January saying no, no evidence of human to human contact. So, you know, I mean, I take what you say about the blame game, David, but uh, you know their their job is to monitor this stuff and the fact that well, the fact- I think the funny thing is, Peter, who gave them that job? I mean, this is the point with a lot of these things. Where do these people come from? Is it just me? Or is this the first time I've heard about Public Health England or whatever they're called? Who gave them that job? Where's that come from? And when you dig beneath that, it'll be like I bet you another five or six or seven quangos in there. All yeah. people by people who used to work for the NHS. I'll back your big house on that one. Okay, that 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 is the point. They're not at the front line either. To use that awful terminology, you know, um, it's a bit like stay safe. You think, well, well, what do I do? What do I do to stay safe apart from what I'm doing, which is kind of stand still and don't talk to anybody unless they're at the distance. So I think WHO falls into the same thing as Save the Pandas and, you know, Extinction Rebellion, I'm sorry, all of that. Now, where's all that gone? Are we now under threat of extinction? Uh, Yes, we are, actually. This is what you should be going around the streets banging drums about and blowing whistles, wearing silly hats and getting paid money because your employer, probably me, the taxpayer, allows you to run around the streets and blow whistles. uh, but but I'm pretty far off in one direction that I, I uh, so yeah I mean I just anything to do with Trump I would I think it's a safe bet just to not agree with him. What the thing with Wuhan, you know, when when you're saying about them, they're saying they put them somewhere else. Where, where do they send people if they've been naughty in Wuhan? Do you know anybody know? Is this is this a serious question or is it is it a joke is it a joke getting lined up here? I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just it's a question. Right. Oh, um, I I don't know to to quote a, a comedian. <laughs> where where where's a good big empty space that you put people? In Sunderland. It, 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 I know where this is going. Where Stadium Who said that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that came from two or three sources there so <laughs> yeah we must really make people from wayside fed up with us and I, so i apologize for my 
apologise for my very, very rude uh, co-conspirators. I uh, I love some of them. Well, you do. I, we, we do. You know, we sponsor the Beacon of Light. So. Beacon of Light. Yeah. yeah. So. It's sun until you die, David. Well, <laughs> not quite. <laughs> not quite, Jamie. Um, <laughs> I watched that program. Uh, I watched, uh, you, know, you know, I think everybody's watching Netflix. I've watched the whole of Netflix, every single program now, on three occasions. Um, Sun Until I Die, I think it's six episodes. Yes. Yeah. You know, you were probably looking for more. Um, and maybe a rerun of the last one. <laughs> but I just feel very sorry for them. Actually, I do. I think that, uh, I think the management, um, I feel sorry for them. They must, they must think it's easy. I think they think it's easy anyway. But uh, the supporters are, are watching uh, not very good. I, I, I like the way that they had got great faith in that centre forward, that that young lad, Maggi or whatever they called him, as if he wasn't going to, as if he wasn't going to go. You know, you know. Somebody asked him a question: Would he be with us next year? Yes. True answer because he was there for about one minute. You know, in the new year, in the transfer window, when the transfer window closes, yes, he was going to be there next year because it was in January. Um, but there's no chance of him standing there. You know, he's going to get like a, a million trillion pounds a, a year versus training. <laughs> training where, where there used to be like pit heaps, you see them little rounded hills. That's always a giveaway. That's not, that's to do with pit heaps and other things being rounded down. Um so once he went, that was it. Oh no, he's left. And you think, well, of course he's going to leave. Idiot, you know. Um, but never mind. That was it. That was the end of them. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I thought it was great when they got him to switch the Christmas lights on. <laughs> There's more chance of Santa Claus being number nine <laughs> in the new year than him. I was shocked that the lights went on. <laughs> <laughs> I thought at least electrocute two or three bands or something in the background. You know, it's just that's the it's just it's a shame for anybody watching because they won't understand the absolute hatred <laughs> of my colleagues for people from Mackhamland, which is a yeah. great place. It's a fe- friendly friendly rivalry, David, not a hatred. Oh, it's friendly rivalry. Right? Friendly friendly rivalry. If you look at someone like Jamie, Jamie lives in the borderlands anyway. He's right in the middle. Yeah, he's he's half Jody, half Magum. Anyway, so well as well as having ginger hair, which is always a sign of somebody from Sunderland. You often see people from Sunderland. They know you got ginger hair and their ears stick out. <laughs> Peter, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> it was so full there, Magum. What Jody James going through? there you go. This is a good a good chance to. Um, bring Peter back in actually because I, I mentioned about the Beacon of Light initiative which which we do support with Sunderland Football Club uh, Peter but we've, we've been supporting a, a couple of other charities in the last month yeah um, and there's two two pieces of work really done the C19 business pledge um, three weeks three weeks in now and yeah. going really really well this is the national um, initiative that David and Justine um, starters uh, last month and i think the latest count there's 170 over 170 companies now signed up to it um well over one and a half million employees covered 
Um, about 75 MPs have given it their backing as well. And this is all effectively saying to companies, once you've got yourself to a point that you're happy, if you've done everything you can to protect yourself, um, is there, what can you do for your customers, your clients, your communities, and also your, your own your own people as well? And as I say, huge response, huge number of companies committed to it, all doing their own thing in their own way, which is quite right. But the, the effect of all of that together is obviously um, a really positive effect. So that's going really well. Um, and then separately to that, David's got his unisolated COVID-19 Facebook page, which is also going really well. So a lot of people um, around the whole country engaging with that and commenting and, and supporting each other really with suggestions of ways to keep busy and some people even post videos of I mean silly things like them in the gym trying to be a dancer but you know I mean it's it, that's the beauty of the internet of course anybody can put up what they want really um, but uh, yeah so it's going really well and, and then at True Potential um, the work we're doing with uh, local hospices I noticed yesterday the Chancellor announced um, a sort of big um, sort of funding round for charities and hospices but you know that was quite heartening we were there doing that maybe a month or so ago with the Tyndale yeah. home um, so lots of great activity going on and, and cash for kids as well um, another local um, charity in the northeast well it's actually a national charity but um, obviously with regional um, sort of outlets if you like and we've, we've done a bit of work with with the um, cash for kids people in the northeast um, who whose efforts really are now on the sort of younger end, so the families with, with kids who are perhaps affected by some of this as well. So all, all, all really positive, good stuff, Dan. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree, Peter. And I think it's it's linked with the CNA Indian Business Pledge about how can we help communities. So you're right with the Tyndale Hospice last month and then Cash for Kids this month. And one of the things, Cash for Kids, we support them at Christmas as well. And one of the initiatives they do then is they look to provide presents for, for children who might go without. But this Easter campaign, I think they're certainly bearing it in mind in terms of food and support for, for, for children who, who might go without you know eating properly for a while because maybe they rely on, on free school meals and what have you. So an, another another great initiative from, from the team there. So uh, thanks to everybody for that. And that was linked with Easter. And I think we'll, we'll probably look to start wrapping up on, on, on the thought of Easter. Um, we're going to spend the next four days in the house. We'd normally be out at pubs, restaurants, and what have you. So it's, um, I was saying to somebody the other day, I'd rather it was just cancelled. I know you can't cancel Easter before you get worried, Jamie, as a man of the, <laughs> a man of the church. Don't worry, I won't be taking that away from you. But um, you, you could have almost done with just cancelling the public holidays on Friday and Monday and, and shifting them. Um, certainly, I would have preferred it. I'd rather be working tomorrow. I'd rather be working on Monday than, than being away. But, Jamie, what, what plans have you got for Easter? <laughs> well, there's a, um, there's a few uh, Facebook Live masses going on, Dan, but uh, right. I think I'll... I may, I, may, I, may, I may log in, who knows, uh, well, I, over the I, days. I, I did see you, you sent me a story, didn't you, Jamie, yesterday, that yeah. there's a priest in Warsaw who's doing drive-through confession. Yeah, drive-through <laughs> confessions. So. Yeah. So there, there is hope, you know. We we talked that we've talked a true potential about how we've innovated in the past, but look, that's the Catholic Church now in the confessing too. They've not been out. <laughs> well, it, it could be a long period of Lent. They may have like ate some chocolate, which is said they'd give up for Lent, for instance. Lent, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So no, no plans, Jamie. Did no, you give I up? Think did, did you give up anything for Lent? 
No, I didn't this oh. year. Normally, normally I try and do something rather than give something up. But um, you need to confess that then. Yeah, you gave up going out, Dan. I gave up did, going out. Gave up going out. Fair if enough. I could go to confession, if I was allowed out the house, I would potentially do that. But yeah, God. no, I think a quiet, a quiet one for me. Um, yeah. Might do. Uh, I don't know. I might have a, might have a, a few cans in the in the garden if the weather's nice. But other than that, I'll be doing well, very little. I think, as you can see behind me, the weather is not nice. It's cold. It's actually raining a little bit. I'm under the cover today. Um, I've also I got are. this. I've got this fetching blanket on my knee. I feel like somebody's somebody's granddad today, so it's not good. Well, you and I are doing it's the great job. So uh, I am a granddad. I don't wear things like that, right? <laughs> uh, Peter, any any Easter plans? Um, well, the weather's probably come to be rescued, Dan, because it would have been stuck in the garden, I'd imagine, doing a bit of gardening, not drinking cans like people in Birdley do. <laughs> So I think the weather has probably rescued me a bit from that. So now it's just TV for four days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That could be for the last three weeks. Yeah, fair enough. And Mark, you you you're not scared by the bad weather. You'll be out doing the garden and. Well, not tomorrow, Dan. Uh, Jeff's got the investment management team working tomorrow. Uh, we've got portfolios to look at, so we're going to get ahead by working the bank holiday. And then for the, the rest of it, apparently there's a, a series on Netflix called Sunderland Till I Die. I might watch that for the 10th time. <laughs> As per the recommendations from Jamie yeah. and David. <laughs> <laughs> well, Grant, well, um, any, any last thoughts, David? No, I, I think you've been quite cruel there. Uh, a couple of you have been very cruel. Um, Obviously, Jamie's in Bertley, so he doesn't know what a garden is. I've got a backyard. He's curious. I, Dan, I think it's worth doing because I know you're going to edit out something I just said earlier. So uh, when people are listening and I'm saying this, I think, oh, I wonder what he said earlier. So, <laughs> right. But I just want to tell a little story about Jamie's brother and his dad. <laughs> because I think, you know, we're going into a long weekend and the, the, there's some expertise. And you can see this in every corner of Britain, a uh, little volunteering going on expertise. And this isn't a new thing. In Berkeley, um, they, uh, listened to the, the, his brother listened to the, the people on the telly and it got a uh, buy one now in time for Christmas. So he got a sofa. This mightn't be strictly accurate, but I mean, I'm just, you know, Anyway, enough. it's accurate enough. So his brother ordered a sofa in time for Christmas and out it came. But the problem was, of course, they couldn't get it in the house. He was in a flat. He was upstairs. He couldn't get it up, up the stairs. So, however, the community all came together as they do in these little places. Normally they come together when you're doing something like this, come together to rob your house. But in this situation, they didn't come together to rob the house. His dad came along next, Bricklayer, and they removed the window, which is ingenious, right? This is the ingenuity of, of that community. So they all came together, took the window out, hauled the sofa up and in through the window, laid it down, put the window back in, you know. And what a great place Britain is, isn't it, when that happens? And then they took the cardboard off the thing, if it was the wrong colour, so it was the wrong <laughs> sofa. 
<laughs> and they couldn't live with this sofa, even though obviously it's normally have quite garish colours in those places. Um, <laughs> so they, <laughs> they phoned the place up and said, "Can you, you know, can you sort this out for us?" And the guy came out, and with a screwdriver, he just <laughs> dismantled the sofa, took it out, put another one in. <laughs> that was it. I was saying that, and I think he said. And do you want to handle that window? It seems to be like on, <laughs> on this <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, just another story about Bertley and yeah. uh, Jamie's ingenious family. Well, Good to Jamie, be Jamie. You'll have to tell Johnny's famous Jamie now. He's I on will. the podcast. I will. So. Is, is he at Lords this year? I mean, that's the other. That's the other thing that goes on. You know that poor priest. He's only got. This is a big thing. This is like Glastonbury for a priest Easter. <laughs> He's been getting warmed up for it for weeks, and then COVID 19s cancelled it. So, yeah, never mind the spirits. Never of mind. It. No. Full marks of that priest in Warsaw who's got people driving through, and <laughs> that's ingenuity, isn't it? You know, yeah. Is it Father MacDonald? <laughs> right. I think we're going to wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, that. Next yeah. thing, just Mrs. Doyle will come in and thought, Gilly, Gilly is going to make a. Never mind. Grand. Well, yeah. everybody, thank you very much. Um, and to ladies and gentlemen in the audience as well, uh, thank you very much uh, for listening in. Enjoy the long Easter weekend. Hopefully, you get out in the garden. If not, you can just have some cans like Jamie will do. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye bye.